When pigs fly. I would say church will be full on Memorial Day weekend. When pigs fly. <laughs> hey, look at your neighbor right now and say, I'm glad you're here today. It's interesting, between both gatherings and stuff, someone was talking with me and they said, you know, Pastor Brian, they're like, Memorial Day is always kind of like a lower attendance weekend. And I said, you know what, God always brings the right people here. And uh, so I'll just say this, man, I believe God has a word for you today. And so I hope that you're ready to receive that word. Um, God's been marinating something in my heart for quite a while here. And it's this idea of, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that God is a miracle-working God, that he still does miracles, that he still is performing them today? I got a few people who believe in that, um, and they're always pretty vocal about it, and part of the reason why they're vocal is because they've experienced miracles themselves. I think, I think of Sonny right over there. That's, that's the one who's kind of being a little vocal right over there. I know some of you are watching online, but, but Sonny is a walking miracle. She uh, has had so many struggles and different things that the enemies try to take her out, but Sonny's like, not today, devil. <laughs> and uh, she's always with faith just kind of speaking that in. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes she's not weary. It doesn't mean that sometimes there's not hard times. But it just means that she understands something, is that regardless of how her body feels, regardless of her circumstances, he's still the same. And if he's still the same, that means that each and every one of us can still continue to go to the Father and say, you know what, God, you don't change. Nothing's changed. And I think about the faithfulness of who God is. Kasha and I got away for a couple of days, which was great. We had a little R&R time. It was fantastic. It's great when uh, your daughter's home from college because she can watch the boys. <laughs> and it was like, Jordan, you're on mom duty. And that's what Kasha would call her and be like, hey, you're on mom duty. Go pick up the boys. Hey, you're on mom duty. You got to feed them. And so they actually eat better when Jordan's here um, right now. And, um, but uh, it's just fantastic, and uh, love, love her for being able to do that, but Kasha and I got away, and uh, we went to a hotel down in Perrysburg, and just had a phenomenal time, and just kind of just relaxed, and just hung out together, uh, went into Yankee Candle Store, don't go in there right now, everything's like 75% off, you'll spend a lot of money, and uh, I can attest to that, and, um, but it was fantastic. I uh, got a few gifts. You know, I got my Mother's Day gift, finally, for my mom, and uh, really excited to be able to give that to her. Uh, some of you may say, you're a horrible son. Yes, 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 but at least I'm going to get her something. It's just a little late. So, Mom, you're probably watching right now. I'm sorry from the heartfelt heart. I love you. All right, so anyways, you know, this weekend is a weekend where we remember and really a weekend of remembering the sacrifice that so many have paid so that you and I could be free. In fact, just the freedom that we're enjoying here in this room here today to be able to gather together, to worship together, there's a freedom. There was a price that was paid for that. And um, we ultimately know that Jesus paid the price for our freedom, but there are also brave men and women who have paid the price for our freedom in, in a natural sense in the fact that, that there have been people um, throughout, brave men and women throughout the armed forces who have given their lives defending our freedom. They've sacrificed greatly. Their names have been etched into granite. 
gifts given by fallen soldiers of their lives, and they're felt. They're, they're palpable. They're, they're heavy. And, and I love how someone, someone said it this way. Uh, they said, it is said the more deeply we feel, the more deeply we feel, the more vividly we remember. Think about that for a minute. The, the more deeply we feel, the more vividly we remember. When, when you've experienced something that has, you know, with a great emotion, it's something that we normally remember. When I think of the sacrificial love of someone laying down their life for someone else, we would say there, there is no greater love than that. And we would be remiss on a weekend like this to not remember the sacrifice that Christ paid. And here later in the gathering, we'll receive communion together, a moment where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the sacrifice that I'm paying and have paid for you, so that you and I could have freedom, freedom from sin, how many are thankful for freedom from sin? Come on now. Freedom from doubt? Come on. Freedom from worry? Freedom from fear? Freedom from sickness? In fact, today I really want to focus in on that last one, freedom from sickness. It's freedom that's been given to you and me. And I think many times as followers of Jesus, we walk around communicating to everyone around us all the things that are going wrong in our life. Because we want people praying for us. And so we constantly go around, would you please pray for me? I got this ache and this pain and all these different things. and I'm struggling here. And, and so we're constantly going around in that. Instead of walking in victory, we walk around in defeat. And I believe that God has called us to walk in victory. It's a, it's a when pigs fly type moment. A moment where we believe for miracles. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says it this way, that Jesus, it's speaking of Jesus, was, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed, esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But I love this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You may say, Pastor Brian, why do, you, why do you love that? Because right here in this passage declares the gospel, the good news, that you and I have been set free, that the price has been paid for freedom from sickness and disease, freedom from sin, freedom from the things that would try to bring us down. It goes on to say, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace. You and I should be peacemakers peace carriers. Because why? Because he paid the price. And it says this, and with his wounds we are healed. Come on, if you grew up in the church and a little bit of KJV in there, it'd be by his wounds we are healed. And there's an excitement that comes there because we go, no, no, I have freedom through the gospel, through what Christ has done for me freedom from sickness. By his wounds, we are healed. I think of people throughout our church body, our community, our families, who need a miracle. I think of Peg Keffer, one of our dear saints here at Bethany, who, who this week, man, she needs a miracle. Went into the hospital. Was struggling with, with just some of her speech, and things weren't quite making sense, and all of a sudden, they find out that she has a tumor in her brain 
that tumor's cancerous, fast growing. They go in and try to remove it, and the doctors say this isn't good. They say weeks to months to live. And I sit there and I hear news like that, and all I can think of is just, no, God is a God who can heal. God is a God who heals all the time. That God can touch her, that God can heal her right now, right where she is, because she needs a miracle. And there are people throughout our community, people throughout our church, who need a God of the breakthrough. And here's what I know, is that a God of the breakthrough is possible, that he's constantly breaking through, constantly astonishing people, constantly doing the impossible and making it possible. In fact, when we think about the word miracle for a moment, by definition, we've been talking about this the past few weeks, and, and it would be a moment where the impossible becomes possible. Come on, look at your neighbor and say this, impossible becomes possible. The impossible becomes possible. We've been talking about how it's a moment when God intervenes. When God shows up on the scene and intervenes in your life and in my life. It's a moment that causes wonder and produces astonishment. How many of you glad that you serve a wonder God? Like someone who like just constantly astonishing. It's like, did that just happen? That's crazy. The world around us is looking for people of faith who will rise up, who will in a pig's fly type moment say, you know what, I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. What if God wanted to perform miracles now? I believe he does want to perform miracles now. Now I know there are some who believe that miracles have since come and gone. Can I just tell you, I believe God is still working miracles today. It's not just something we learn about from the past. I believe he's doing it now today. And our first response should be to constantly see God as our first option. Now listen, I have nothing against the medical profession. In fact, I'm very thankful for the medical profession. I'm thankful that they tell us how our body works together and how God designed it ultimately. And they say, hey, if you'll take care of your body like this, this is what can happen. And when we begin taking care of the temple that God's entrusted us with, what happens is, is doctors and others around us and health practitioners and fitness people, we can actually begin to put our body in a state where we're honoring God with our body and we're saying, God, you know what? You get first. But sickness does come. And when that sickness comes, many times what happens is, is instead of continuing to look to the author and the creator of heaven and earth who designed every part of your body and knows it even better than your doctor. Now I know some of you are like, man, my doctors run a lot of tests on me. Yeah, but he still don't know your body like God knows your body. Our first response in a moment of needing something, a healing, shouldn't be, oh, I got to hurry up and call the doctor. Our first response should be like, yo, Dr. Jesus. Like, Dr. Jesus, like, great physician, I know you're listening, so here's the deal. Doctor's trying to say this. My body's trying to tell me this. This is screaming. This is happening. But, hey, I know that you are a faithful God, and I know that I can lay my request before you, and so in the name of Jesus, I'm asking for this. Psalms 103 talks about that we are to bless the Lord and not forget any of his benefits. You and I should be allowing praises to come out of our mouth. God, thank you so much, and I'm not going to forget your benefit. See, so many of us, what happens is is, is we wrestle with this idea of, of doctors and what God's trying to do, and so so many times we rely on what the doctors are saying versus what God's saying. 
I know I've shared this story in the past about a man, his name is Francis Schaefer, and toward the end of his life, he was undergoing cancer treatment at one of the Mayo Clinics. And he wrote this to his friend. He said this, How good is it to have a theology in which there's no tension between using the best medicine possible and looking directly to the Lord for answer to prayer? See, it's, it's wisdom that says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually utilize the profession and the gifts that God's placed inside of others, but I'm ultimately looking to God as well, because God is the great physician. And when our bodies begin to struggle with sickness and disease, our first response should be to go to him. He's our healer. He's our redeemer. And in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the sickness, what we see is we see God working all the time. God is faithful. Four things that I just want to share with you. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write down this first one. And that is this, is that I believe it's God's will is healing. Listen, you don't have to second guess and wonder. I wonder if God's will is healing. Now, I grew up in the church since I was a young boy. I was born in the church. Man, first time I could probably breathe, I was probably in church. I mean, like, I, I have, I've been a church boy my whole life. There have been different times where I've had a lot of people pray for me throughout the years. I've heard them pray for others. And one of the things that was always confusing as a young man was always hearing people pray this. God, if it's your will, I pray that you'll heal them. And it's like, are you and I reading the same book? Because all throughout the scriptures, we see God's will is is for those to be healed, those to be set free, those to be delivered from their infirmities, that he came to bring sight to those who were blind. He came to bring freedom to those who were oppressed. That you and I have been set free. I believe God's will is healing, but somehow we have allowed this thinking to come into our minds inside of the church that says, well, God, if it's your will, then would you heal? But what's crazy is, is we don't ever sit there and question whether it's God's will for someone to be saved. We don't say to somebody, you know what, uh, Hold on a second. God, if it's your will that this person experience freedom from sin and and accept you, we pray that that would happen right now. We don't hear that. We go into those moments with confidence. We're like, oh, no. I don't know why I start talking like that. Anyways, (laughs) but we... But we go with confidence in those moments because what happens is, is, is we say, no, I know that God can save. Why? Because we've experienced ourselves. Now, if you have Sonny praying for you, Sonny's going to pray like the miracle's going to happen. Why? Because she's experienced in her life. And I wonder if some of us, we've allowed our experience or lack of experience to translate into our theology. And so then instead of going confidently and praying for people through healing, because maybe we haven't experienced it or maybe we haven't seen that, we've only read about it on the pages of Scripture, then we allow our experience to dictate who God is. And God's like, listen, don't be putting me in some box of if it's my will or not. I'm telling you, God desires for you and I to be set free. He desires for freedom from sickness. So you can go confidently and pray for people, confidently. I believe that today there are going to be people who are going to be healed in this, this gathering. I believe that. Now, is it, is it because I've done something? Absolutely not. It's because of who God is. And so if you're in this room today and you're like, man, you know what, I need a healing. Just begin speaking. Just saying, you know, Jesus, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for whatever pain this is, back pain, shoulder pain, whatever it may be, just like Jesus, I'm praying and believing for a healing right now. Isaiah 53, 5 says it, 
We just read this here a moment ago, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He is your healer. He's your provider. Jesus Christ is our perfect theology. He is the fulfillment of our theology. Now think about this. Jesus is the will of God. God's plan, his purpose was that you and I would have freedom from sin. So he said, you know what? I've got to send my boy. Jesus, you're on the scene. Jesus goes, takes care of everything, provides freedom for you and me to experience. What? To experience oneness with the Father. Because sin separates us from him. But what happens in many of our lives is we create a doctrine around Jesus that really isn't what we see in scriptures. Jesus went and saved the lost. Jesus went and healed those who were sick and oppressed. Jesus is the will of God. It is a part of it. So if Jesus is our healer, if Jesus is the one who's healing, and Jesus is a part of the will of God, we know that Jesus desires for us to be healed. I believe that with all my heart. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Sickness is not God's fault. Stop blaming God for it. Well, if he loved me, he would take care of me. No, he did take care of you. He's given you freedom through Christ. He's given you and I freedom from sin, freedom from sickness. Sickness is not God's fault. Sickness and disease is an attack against God's original intent. And listen, you and I are in a battle. The battle is real. Now listen, I know all of us work different jobs. We all have different experiences throughout the week. And we can go and we can go throughout this, but can I just say there is a real enemy that wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. If you think, oh, my marriage, oh, we will we'll never have problems. <laughs> then you probably engaged. Come on, now, I, I don't gladly say I'm glad I've been through problems, but I can tell you I've been through problems in my marriage. Two people become one. Now that is a miracle. That is a when pigs fly type moment. Is it not, babe? The fact that you love me is crazy. Now you're easy to love, but man. Yeah, that's right. Little words of affirmation. We got away, guys. Ah! Anyways, I'm sorry. You don't need to get down to all that. Whoa! Get back to the notes. Sickness is not God's fault. But he did say, anyways. All right, Acts 10.38 says this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. And when he went about doing good and healing all those who were what? Oppressed by the devil. The, the enemy is the one who brings the oppression, not God. Jesus went around healing those who were oppressed by the enemy, for God was what? With him. And God is with you and I. We have access to the Father because we have a relationship with Christ. Ephesians 6 talks about it this way. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, the devil is scheming. He ain't your friend. He doesn't have good things in store for you. He wants to destroy your life. He goes on to say this. It says, 
Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You can read that and be like, what? There's a real enemy who wants to destroy your life. So Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Too many of us as believers are walking in defeat rather than walking in victory. And you may say, well, I haven't seen the moment of victory yet. Can I just say, you have seen the moment of victory. You've read about it on the pages. And for some of us, what we need to do is we need to stand upon what God's word says. And we need to stand firm. So that's why Paul is saying, listen, so stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You've got to know that God is for you. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Where, where does our righteousness come from? Is it something we earn? No. Our righteousness is in Christ. The enemy doesn't want you to think you're in right standing with the Father. So he always comes to you with this throughout the week. You screwed up. You messed up. Man, you are jacked up. He's constantly coming at us with all this garbage because he's trying to get us to take off the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness says, no, no, God's paid my price. Oh, no, no, I'm free from that. I am no longer the same. He goes on to say, as your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You and I have been called to a place of victory in the battle, not a place of defeat, not a place of running. And I know it may seem like, man, that seems like a pig's fly type moment. Listen, if you knew that you were going to win, you'd play every time. Now listen, I don't, I don't, I don't gamble, I don't play the lottery or anything like this, but this is a good example. If you knew you could win the lottery right now, how many of you would go out and buy a lottery ticket? Now listen, don't go buy a lottery ticket. I would say that's not a good investment of your money. You may say, but what if I hit it rich? Well, you better tithe then. (laughs) I'm just playing. I'm just, no, really. No, I'm just joking. I'm, that's, that's always the conundrum. Everyone always says that to me. They're like, Pastor Brian, would you receive, you know, a tithe from someone who played the lottery? And I was like, dude, that's God's money to begin with. John 10, 10 says this, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So what do you and I do when we get a bad report? We remind the enemy of who he is, and we believe the report of the Lord, not the report of the enemy. You resist and you speak God's word over your report. James 4, 7 says it this way, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's got to go. Get out. Sometimes the only defense that you and I have in the minute of, of, of warfare that we find ourselves in is, is, your, is the word of God. Now listen, your Bible is going to do you no good if you just leave it on your bedside table, gather in dust. It's not going to be good. It's not going to do you any good just being locked away in some app, you know, like 10 pages in on all your app screens. Your Bible app should be like front page. I never thought of it that way, but you should. Mine's right on the bottom, actually, so I can just, boom, get it. 
It'll do you no good. The word of God will do you no good if you hold it like a teddy bear when you're facing your giants. God's word is not going to do you any good if you don't receive it and then speak the truth of his word. Because so many of us know it, but we don't speak it. It's like, oh, I know that I have victory in Christ, but I don't speak it over my circumstances. Which leads me to my third thing is this, is the word of God is a defensive and offensive weapon. The word of God is a defensive and offensive. See, it's defensive because sometimes you've got to remind yourself when all the attacks of the enemy start coming in is that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. No, 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 no. The enemy can't fool me into thinking I'm, I'm a mistake. He can't fool me into thinking that God doesn't have a plan and purpose for my life. No, God's word's constantly reminding It's a defense. But it's also offensive. Sometimes we've got to take it to the enemy and be like, sickness, you've got to go. Depression, got to go. Worry, got to go. Fear, got to go. Doubt, got to go. It's not sticking around. The Bible says it this way. It says, he sent his word, his word, and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God sends his word to deliver you and I from the destructions that the enemy would love to bring against us. A good friend of mine, Harry Salem, uh, he's an evangelist. He says it this way. He says, I'm not questioning God when it comes to healing. I'm counting on it. Stop questioning God for healing and just start counting on it. No, God, you got this. Listen, I, I'm not the one who heals. So when I pray for someone to be healed, I do my part. God, I'm praying you're healing over this person. I'm praying, God, that you would deliver them. I'm praying, God, that you would set them free in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, not in my authority, not in my strength, but in your name and in your authority. This is what I'm praying for. And you'd be surprised how many people throughout the world are shocked when you pray for them? Because most of the time in the church we say, hey, would you pray for me? Oh, I got you. And then we go about and our day goes on and we maybe remember to pray for them. Maybe not. Just stop right where you are. Pray for them. You're driving on the road, the person next to you coughing, look at them. You need me to pray for you? Maybe not quite like that, but you know what I mean. Another thing here he says, he says, uh, if you will resist the devil, the unseen realm will literally swallow up the seen realm. And I love that. If you will resist the devil, the unseen realm will literally swallow up the seen realm. What God is constantly in the business of doing is swallowing up the things that we look at in our eyes and go, oh man, I just, I don't understand how I can, that can happen. That's a miracle. God doing the impossible and making the impossible possible. If the scene does not line up with God's word, we have a biblical right to believe God for the seen to be swallowed up by the unseen. God's word says in Isaiah 55, 11, so my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return void to me. This idea of without, it's, it has to produce. It has to have a, an effect but it shall accomplish that which I please in purpose, and they shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word prosper in the Hebrew here means to break through to success. So I love that last part of that scripture. In fact, if, if we were to paraphrase that, it'd be, but God's word shall accomplish that which I please in purpose, and it shall break through to success in the thing for which I sent it. Why? Why? Because you and I got to remember about God's word. Hebrews, 
declares it this way, for the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Think about that for a minute. The word of God can accomplish amazing things. God gave us his word, and it's our job to send his word out through the air by speaking it out of our mouths. It's not enough just to think about it. We need to speak it. The example that Christ gives for us is the moment where he speaks things. He could have thought about creation. He could have been like, you know what? Light. Mm. Oh, clouds. Mm. He could have just thought it. Bah, bah, bah. But he spoke it into existence. Let there be light. Why did he speak? I think he was trying to show you and I what it means to speak things into existence that we don't see in the natural. That God is calling us to speak these things in. He spoke into existence, and we must speak as well. Jeremiah said it this way, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. He said, The Lord said it to me that he's watching over his word, that he's going to perform to his word. Take the word of God like a prescription. Follow the directions. Don't miss a dose. Keep speaking the word of God over your life. God sees his word. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. God is looking over his word and declaring that word to be truth. Too many times, though, what happens is as we allow our theology to be dictated by our own experience. But yet the Word's always been here. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's why we must speak it over. We must speak the Word over ourselves, over our families, over our marriages, over our community. And here's the big one that I think most of us forget. Speak it over yourself. You know what we do a lot of times with God's word? We speak it over other people, and we use God's word to correct other people. And God's like, listen, (laughs) that's supposed to be a personalized thing for you. It's why Christians struggle so much with seeing the speck in other people's eyes but missing the plank in their own. It's because we love to use God's word out of context and we think, oh, God's word is for everyone else. And yes, God's word is for them, but it's also for you. It's also for me. And that's why this last point is this, is that we've got to speak God's word over our life. Speak God's word over your life. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue brings healing. The words that you and I speak over ourselves bring about healing. It's crazy how the world has caught on to this idea of speaking things into existence. How many self-help things that you've heard about where people literally wake up in the morning and they they speak these things over themselves. They got scripture verses all, or not scripture, sayings all over the place, and, and they're like, you are awesome, you are a millionaire, you shall be amazing. You know, it's like, I don't know why I went to that voice for that one, but that, that's an interesting one. Um, but it's like, you know, they're like, you, you talk yourself up. Make, make yourself amazing. But think of what could happen if we actually spoke the word of God over our lives. What would happen if we were like, no, like today I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. 
We begin speaking God's word over our lives. What if we use a scripture verse like this, Isaiah 53, 5, and you put yourself on this. But he was pierced for Brian's transgressions. That's me, making it personal for me for just a moment. He was crushed for Brian. Iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought Brian peace. And with his wounds, Brian is healed. I can do that over myself. I, I can do that over my wife. Third John 2. Beloved, I pray that Kasha may prosper in every way, that Kasha's body may keep well, that even as I know that Kasha's soul keeps well and prospers. We can speak God's word over our lives. I can speak it over my wife because the two are one. Proverbs, Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 23, 7, he says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. The words that we speak matter. The words that we speak over our, our lives and something has to happen where it gets passed from our head into our heart. And I believe that happens when we say it aloud, when we speak to ourselves. Now, I, I'm not a very good reader. I just, I've struggled with reading since I was a young, young boy and I have a library full of books and I read pretty a lot. <laughs> um, but I'm not a good reader. I really am not. Um, I've struggled with it for many years. But when I am actually speaking it out, like what I'm reading, I can, I can actually comprehend it better. So many times what I'll do is, is I'll read something to myself, or I'll have someone else read it to me, and I'll follow along on the pages. Now, I can, I can say a word like I've, I've learned how to actually read, but comprehension is different. How many of you ever read a book or read a chapter in a book and thought, what in the world did I just read? Come on now. Some of you are sitting here in the sermon, you're going, what am I hearing? You're literally like in that same spot. I don't know why my wife's laughing. <laughs> Romans 10, 17 says it this way, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The words that we speak matter. It's hearing that in our lives. I love how the message translation puts it. It says, but not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The translation goes on to say it this way. It says, the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. You and I have a mandate by God to preach the word. And sometimes the word that we need to be preaching is not to others, it's to ourselves. Speak God's word over your life. And what will happen is as you begin to speak God's word over your life, you'll begin to develop more of a trust in him. Because isn't part of the issue that we just don't really trust God? I mean, we trust God for someone else, but not, I mean, maybe not for us. We're, we're just not good. I mean, God would do that for them, but not for me. Oh, God could take care of that person, but not for me. Oh, I've either done too wrong, or I just, I'm just not good enough. And we feel like it's a pig's fly moment, but, but here's what we can learn, even from that of a child. When, when a child, think about a baby for a minute. How does a baby communicate when they're little? <coughs> cry, whine, 
throw a fit, scream, whining, crying. What are they trying to do? They're trying to communicate something's wrong. Pooped in my pants. I'm hungry. I want to be held. And what eventually happens is, is when a baby's crying and a parent continuously goes and meets the need of that, the baby begins to trust that when mom is there, everything's okay. And so why do a lot of kids struggle when their mom is the only one that's watching them through those early years and all of a sudden they go and take them down to Bethany Kids and they're like, here's my kid, and your kid has never been outside of mom's arms. They're like, I don't know if I can trust you. And I think many times it's the same way with God. The more that we cry out to him, and the more that we speak his word over our lives, the more our trust grows of him to where it's like we begin to realize, oh, mom and dad are in the room, dad's in the room, oh, everything's going to be fine. It doesn't matter what other people say. Oh, no, dad's here, mom's here. John 14, 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Maybe some of the problem could be that, that we are expecting miracles versus healing. Now, I'm not going to unpack a whole lot of this, but, but here's what I know about a miracle. A miracle many times is something that instantaneously happens. A healing is something that normally happens over time. So we all love miracles. It's like, God, I want a miracle right now. Make me skinny and buff. Boom! <laughs> Just doesn't work that way. See, it's important to recognize the progress of what God's doing in our lives, and we need to give a, an atmosphere of thanks, an atmosphere of saying, God, I know your word is truth. I can trust it. And what happens is as healings increase in atmospheres where people trust in who God is and they're thankful for what God has already done. I was watching a message from a pastor here and he was this week in preparation for this and he was talking about how he had had this ailment for quite a while and, and, he, and it basically it was, I think it was like an open cut or something on his ear and he brought it before the Lord and was like, God, I need you to heal this. And, and so he brought his request to the Lord and, and someone said to him, they said, Pastor, are, are you believing for a healing? So they said, oh, no, I'm healed. And they're like, uh, no, you're not. You still have that open, oh, no, I'm healed. I'm healed. He said it took years for that healing to fully manifest itself in the way that everyone else thought it had to in order for me to be healed. But he said, I know that I can take God's word at what God's word says. And he says, I know that I'm walking in healing. See, here's what we know is that God's will is healing. Sickness is not God's fault. And you and I need to speak the word of God over our lives. We need to use it as a defensive and an offensive weapon that we then say, you know what? I know that I'm going to speak this over my life. I know that, that God is greater in me than anything else. This morning we're going to receive communion together and I'm going to ask you if you could grab your element here in a moment and just pull it out and as you're grabbing that element out, I'm going to ask you to, to join with me in a moment where we do something together as a church body. Now I recognize in this room here today, 
there may be individuals who, and the scriptures actually talks about it in, in Corinthians where it says that if we're not in right standing with the Father, then we really shouldn't partake of communion. Because Jesus was saying, do this in remembrance of me. A moment where we recognize this, this bread, this wafer right here represents the body of Christ, which is broken for you and me. This, this cup of juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you and I. And here's, here's what I recognize in a moment like this is that there may be some of us who maybe wouldn't be in a place where we would be in, in a place where we could receive of this because maybe some things in our life aren't quite right. And I know that some of the elements didn't get handed out at the doors and I apologize about that. So if you need to get an element, that's fine. You can grab one. But I kind of want to talk to us for a second here because I would know that in a room like this, there may be some who maybe you're not in right standing with the Lord. You'd find yourself in a place where sin has kept you separated from God. But can I just tell you, there's good news. Jesus is crazy, madly in love with you. Paid the price for you so you could have freedom from sin. But it's like, basically boils down to this, it's a gift. Now, gifts can either be received or rejected. A lot of people reject the gift that God's given. It's a free gift. The beauty is, is he came to seek and to save all who were lost. All who found themselves in places of sickness. All who found themselves in places of separation from God. Everyone. Not just, not just a few, everyone. So the good news is, is you and I are a part of everyone. You don't have to earn this gift. It's not even something that has to like, oh, if I go to church enough, if I believe enough. Nope, nothing. All you got to do is receive it. The gift is freedom from sin, saying, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, for my life. So I'm accepting that free gift right now. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you change my life? So if you're here today, I just want to make sure that we're all kind of in right standing before this next moment happens. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm far from Christ. This is a moment we're all going to join together and we're just going to join with you. In fact, normally I'd have you raise your hand in this moment, but I just feel like right now the Lord's like, hey, let's just let this be a personal thing right now for somebody. And we'll have a public moment here together. But if you find yourself in a place where you need God, you need forgiveness of sin, I just encourage you to join with me and others in this room who are going to repeat this prayer together. Would you go before the Lord with me? Father, I thank you for your love for me. I need you. I can't do this on my own. So right now, I accept your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I accept your gift. Help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name.